can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and just give him a hug and say, <clears throat> Is that a word? <clears throat> We are in our uh, series, Tongue Pierced, and uh, the power of words. And words can hurt, words can heal, words can destroy. There's just a lot of things that words can do, amen? I mentored with a young preacher named uh, Nelson Searcy for three or four years, and thoroughly enjoyed that time with him and the growth that I received personally for it. Uh, Nelson tells a story about himself that fits this message so well, I wanted to share it with you. Uh, He's given us permission to do that, but uh, I wanted to uh, share it with you. And he starts out by saying, I want to tell you about something that happened to me three months ago. I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He said, hey, let's get together. We went back and forth on a couple of dates and eventually arrived at a meeting time. And I, as I, and I traveled across town on that day, went into his office to meet with him. And it was just like he and, and I were there. And he said, Nelson, I need to ask you a tough question. I kind of felt my heart rate go up just a little bit. I thought, what kind of tough question would that be? He said, tell me about so-and-so. And he called the name of a mutual friend of ours. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that guy is kind of upset. He seems to be upset with you. And he seems to be upset about this situation. Tell me about that. So then I felt my heart rate go up even more. I said, okay, I'll tell you about it. So I explained the situation in as much detail as I could. He said, that sounds reasonable. It sounds like everything is right there, right here. But there's a lot of miscommunication. He said, I think you need to reach out to him and try to make it right. And so we talked about how that might play out, and I eventually left his office. And as I got back on the street, I walked back over to my office. I was getting pretty ticked. I thought, who does this guy think he is? Bringing me across town to meet with him, to talk to me about this issue. No warning. Didn't tell me what he wanted to talk about. I was pretty angry. And I might have said a few choice words under my breath. And I called a friend of mine. I have a couple of friends who I can talk to about uh, anything, and they know me really well. And I said, hey, here's what just happened to me. What do you think I should do? And they said, well, I think that guy's right. I think you ought to try to resolve the situation and work it out. Now, that's a glimpse of the title of our message today, The Art of Confrontation. Nelson learned the truth of our verse that we read earlier in Proverbs 27, 6. So grab your message notes and let's uh, take a look at that particular verse. It's the memory verse for the day. If you look at it real closely, it says, Wounds made by a friend are intended to do what? They're intended to help. So those words are there to help you. Those words that come from a friend. But an enemy's kisses 
are too much to bear. See, Nelson had discovered that confrontation can leave wounds. It hurts, stings when you ask tough questions. So wounds made by a friend are intended to help. And Nelson goes on to say in his story that he was glad that he had the confrontation, glad that he was, that he was enough of a friend to talk to me about uh, the situation and try to get me back on the right track. Everything is not uh, peaches and roses with the other person, but things are better than they were, and I'm a better person because of the conversation we had, and I think our relationship, our friendship is stronger than it was, and I think overall things are just better than they were before the confrontation. So, part of Tongue Pierced in the series is the art of confrontation. Words tear up, or tear down I mean, or build up. Not tear up or build down. (laughs) They build up or tear down. And we want to look at this art of confrontation. It's based on Proverbs 27 and 6. And again, look at that. Wounds are made by a friend are intended to help. Now, notice where the wounds come from. Come from a friend, don't they? If someone is your friend, they should have the freedom to speak directly to you in love. Would you say amen? It's not pleasant. (laughs) None of us want to hear that we're living not so good lives. None of us want to hear that. We'd much better rather be told how great we are and how wonderful we are and all that. But then that's not a true friend. When you get married, your true your best truest friend should be your mate. Amen. And that person should have complete freedom to tell you exactly what they perceive about you, even if you don't want to hear it. And guess what? They do. They will. And sometimes it's not very nice. Sometimes it's really hurtful, isn't it? Because they have a way. Because, see, they've learned some buttons to push along the way, too, that really get to us. But the idea is to help, not to hurt. But before we go too much further, let's define what confrontation is. Confrontation is a meeting between two friends for the purpose of restoring godliness. It's a meeting between two friends for the purpose of restoring godliness. Would you underline in your outline there the word friends? Because that's very important. You can't confront someone who is not your friend. Well, you can, but that's called stalking. (laughs) But friends are who you want to confront. But notice the particular purpose for the confrontation. Underline the two words, restoring godliness so in other words some sin has occurred something's happened that damages the relationship and damage happens it's a sin in the sight of God so God calls you to confront that person and I want you to understand that today's message is a pretty dangerous message because you could leave here saying okay I've got five tools and I'm going to nail somebody and you can walk out of here and just start nailing people because by golly that's what you're going to do Some people are pretty good at confrontation. I'm not. 
I'll admit to you right up front. I don't like it. I never have liked it. I've always tried to be a peacemaker by nature. I don't know if it's because my four older brothers were fighting all the time and I tried to keep peace. I don't know what it was. But I admire people that have the ability to confront in the right way. I go through all kinds of gyrations before I can ever do it. It's just it's rough on me. And so today's message has a potential for abuse. I want you to understand that 80% of the time, when somebody thinks they should confront, they shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't at all. Confrontation is not needed, isn't helpful, nor is it spirit-led. But by golly, you're going to go tell them exactly what you think right now and straight up and straight out. I guess that's one thing I'll miss about Geneva. You never had to wonder what she was thinking about. Good or bad. Amen? But you knew that behind it was love. You knew that. Didn't necessarily make it swallow any better. But you knew there was a lot of love behind it. Confrontation is a tough thing for us to do. You guys listen every week. I think you listen pretty good. You take notes, and I appreciate that. But today, I want you to do a little extra. So I want you to really tune in to what I'm going to say. And we're going to look at a confrontation that happened between Nathan and King David from 2 Samuel chapter 12. So it's there in your notes. So it's the art of confrontation. And it's really more art than science. It's between David and Nathan. But let me describe the two players in the drama a little bit so you understand. First, there's Nathan. He, was, he may be one of the least of the two names. He's the one that you're least familiar with. He was a prophet in the time of David's reign over Israel. Uh, uh, there aren't any prophets anymore. This is a very Old Testament idea. And this, way, this was the way that uh, there was a person that God could use to speak for him back to the people and, and back before the Bible was written. So Nathan spoke for God before he had what you and I call the Word of God, the Bible. So Nathan was a key spiritual leader of the day. In many ways he was like the Billy Graham, the Pope of our day, all rolled up into one. And so it's Nathan. Nathan was friends with the king who happened to be King David at the time. And you probably know a little bit about David. If you remember the first part of David's life, he was a shepherd. He was chosen by the prophet Samuel to be the future king to follow King Saul. David's initial reign over the territory of Israel was a period of unprecedented prosperity and peace. David was one of the best kings Israel ever had. He led Israel to places and new heights like never before. He is still today considered one of the greatest leaders in Jewish history. But when his confrontation happens, happens in 2 Samuel 12, it's right after something really bad had gone on in David's life. David had committed a major sin. He had had an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And we all know that story. He saw Bathsheba bathing from the top of his tower and he proceeded to commit adultery with her. Then he proceeded to have a long-term affair with her that eventually led to taking her husband Uriah, who was a soldier in David's army, and sending Uriah to the front lines of battle, where he would certainly be killed. And when 
where he was killed and then he proceeded to cover up the affair and there was this child out of wedlock and the story just goes from bad to worse. It's just shortly after that affair that we find this confrontation that Nathan is called by God to confront David about his sin and try to restore godliness in David's life and ultimately godliness to the kingdom. So with that in mind, let's look at five steps that we can extract from the confrontation and apply to any confrontation that we face. And these five steps I'm going to give you are through the eyes of Nathan because he's the one doing the confronting. And the purpose, again, of the rest of the confrontation is to restore godliness. Restore godliness, not to prove that you're right. It's to restore godliness. But I also realize that some of, of us here who have confrontations every day, not of a spiritual nature, but maybe more of a management or a leadership nature, you know, these, these can help you too. Alright? So, with that in mind, let's launch into these five. So the first one is, follow God's leadership carefully. Follow God's leadership carefully. This is where it starts. Before you sit down... Have a confrontation with a friend. We have to first be doubly sure that God is the one telling us to have this conversation. It's not something that we just make up. It's not something that we think up. It's not something that we desire to do. Remember I said, it's been my experience that 80% of confrontation shouldn't happen anyway. And a sure sign that they aren't following God's leadership to confront a friend is if you want to do it. That's a desire that shouldn't be in the process. If you're excited about doing it, if you're ever confronted by someone and they tell you they're excited about confronting you, you might want to end that meeting as fast as you can. There is no sense of excitement in Nathan's life. Nathan was a spiritual leader. He knew David had done wrong. He didn't endorse David's sin. He didn't try to cover up David's sin. He would have told David flat out, your sin is wrong. But he did not confront David just out of his own desire to see righteousness restored. He confronted David because he was clearly sent by God. In fact, the first verse tells us, So the Lord, and you might underline Lord in their outline there, So the Lord sent Nathan. How do you know if God is sending you to confront somebody? Well, let me give you three or four questions to ask yourself. First of all, is the sin dishonoring to God? These aren't on your outlines. You might need to write them down somewhere. Is the sin dishonoring to God? Is the sin that your friend has committed dishonoring to God? Question number two, is it damaging your relationship? Is it damaging the relationship that the two of you share? Number three, is it hurting others? Are others being hurt by the situation? You know, in King David's case, yeah. Uriah understood that he got hurt, didn't he? <laughs> he killed. Then the fourth question, is it hurting the offender? Is the person who committed the sin being hurt? Is it causing them to destruct or spiral out of control? So if you have to ask yourself these questions... And then once you have done that, there's this 
another step, and I want you to jot it down. When God speaks to you about confronting another person, He will confirm it through multiple ways. He will confirm it through prayer. He'll confirm it through the Bible, through, through Bible study. He will, conform, he will confirm it through questions, like the, the four I just gave you. He will confirm it through other people. So it's very serious. If you're going to confront somebody, it's very serious. Don't take it lightly. And remember, the purpose for confrontation is to restore godliness. Okay? All right. Number two. He requested a private meeting. He requested a private meeting. Oftentimes we want to confront people in public. Not the place to do it. Do it privately. Request a private meeting and do it. Behind a closed door somewhere. Confrontation has to be done one-on-one. Do it as a group. Don't do it out in public. Two weeks ago I was at the football game and they feed the booster club before the game and then the team after the game and for 20 plus years I've always eaten something after the game just a little something but two weeks ago I went through after the game to pick up a little sandwich and I was looked at the guy I'm right in the middle of everybody he raises his voice and he says you can't eat anymore I thought, well, you know, because I'm fat or what? What do you mean I can't eat anymore? He said, you've already eaten. Proceeded to move on. (laughs) But it hurt me. I was embarrassed. There could have been a hundred ways for him to do that different, don't you think? But he decided to lambast me right there in front of everybody that was in line to get something to eat. All right. So, I just didn't get anything to eat. Don't plan to. (laughs) I don't need something to eat that late anyway, right? So that's a good thing. I'm going to take it as a good thing. But you see how simple little things can create problems. Wouldn't it have been better for him to privately pull me aside and say, Hey, haven't you eaten already? And I don't have enough to serve everybody. That would have been nice to find out in private than to blow it up, make it bigger than it needs to be. In your notes is Matthew 18. It's the classic passage on confronting a friend. Matthew 18 talks about if a friend has harmed you, what process you should work through to reconcile with them. Jesus in verses 15 through 20 gives a very clear path. And one of your next steps from today is that you'll study Matthew 18. So take a look at your connection card. That's one of them. I'm going to read and study Matthew 18, 15 through 20. So if you're willing to do that, this is a good time to check that. On the back of your connection card. And I'd love to know if you're going to take this a study after today. Also, in the on the back of your message notes, I'm recommending... A book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. 
it's an excellent book. You can get it uh, any Mardell's or you know, Barnes Noble. They'll have it have it there. Or to order it online. But he he shares in that book some key verses about maintaining peace and harmony and unity in relationships, and he uh, goes two chapters just to focus on Matthew 18. So I think it'll be a very helpful resource for you. So you might consider grabbing that. So keep peace and manage relationship includes when you confront others. It's very important. But Nathan scheduled this private meeting, which led us to step number three, and that is to prepare to tactfully share your thoughts. Prepare to tactfully share your thoughts. You've got to be prepared for that meeting. Don't go in with without having your thoughts maybe even written down so that you're precise and concise and can say it correctly. And develop how you're going to approach this. What are you going to say? How are you going to start it? So jotting things down, self-preparation. You've got to check your own heart first. Make sure your heart's not full of bitterness and anger. You have to ask yourself, am I excited about the confrontation? If you are, then you ought to put it off because it's not anything to get excited about. you got to do what Jesus said, which is to take the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah, but preacher, you just don't know how bad this guy is. Okay, I got you. But remember, for every finger you point, there's three pointing back at you. Every time you point your finger, there's three more pointing back at you. Be careful. Be careful. Written preparation really helps a lot. Don't get lazy. Do it the right way so that God can can restore people's lives, which takes us to step number four. And that's state the truth compassionately and then trust the Spirit. Nathan is moving in. He's about ready to deliver this soft truth to David and he's going to deliver it and then he's going to have to trust that God's Spirit is going to do His work. Don't do the work yourself for God. Let God do the work for you. You come in and you do it softly and gently again with the ultimate goal of restoring godliness in that person's life or in the work that that person is doing. God is using Nathan to prepare David to repent of that Sin and have godliness restored in his life, which is going to also restore godliness to the kingdom. So let's pick it up in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 12. David was furious, and as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole, and, for, and, and, have, and have no pity, for having no pity. Now hold your finger right there and jump down to verse 7. You see what David thought? David thought that the story that Nathan was telling him was a true story about this man that had had his lamb stolen. He thought it was something that had happened in the kingdom. So David, as the king, was going to make a ruling so that it wouldn't happen. David was going to play judge right now. Then Nathan turns to him and he says, Look, this story is just a story. This is really a story about you. Now in verse 7, I've always read verse 7 thinking that Nathan probably stood up, raised his voice, he pointed his long bony finger in the face of David and delivered this line, but that's not at all what you find in the story. Instead, you find compassion in Nathan. 
Nathan didn't want to deliver it, but he had to deliver it because God had told him to deliver it. So it says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, said, I anointed you king of Israel, saved you from the power of Saul, gave you this house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. And from this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own and because of what you have done I the Lord will cause your own household to rebel against you I will give your wives to another man and he will go to bed with them in public view you did it secretly but I will do this to you openly in the sight of all of Israel you see when you cross God it can cost you dearly amen Well, there's a lot to take out of this passage. But David's sin didn't just harm himself. It now was going to harm Bathsheba and the entire nation of Israel. I want you to look at the end of verse 12. And how tactful Nathan was. At the end of verse 12, Nathan, he just shuts up. He delivers what he had to say and then he just waits. If you've ever been in this situation, and I can only think of maybe one or two times where I've been in a situation like this, I've had to deliver some kind of tough truth. My natural inclination is just to keep on talking. There's times when you just need to shut up. A dear, dear friend gave me a great advice. He said, you'll know you're growing in your walk with God when you don't have to have the final word. When you don't have to have the last word. Because that's how people argue. They keep arguing until finally somebody breaks. But you'll know that it doesn't really matter to you as much if you'll just keep your mouth shut. Say what you got to say and then shut up. Shut up. Some people talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and they never get any resolve. You know, Nathan was sensitive to the Spirit of God. He He was waiting for God to respond. David was listening to God and when we find that David had what he has to say in verse 13 it says then David confessed to Nathan I've sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and that's not what you know I mean that's tough that's big stuff for a king to admit that he's a sinner and a king to admit that he's done wrong not only in his friend's eyes but in the eyes of almighty God mercy sakes this should draw us, drive us to our knees amen And then number five, fifth step. Offer grace and support. In verse five, Nathan offers grace and support. Nathan wasn't excited that he had to do this. He wasn't happy that he was chosen to to bring the king of Israel to repentance. Nathan was broken. And as a true friend, Nathan felt the weight of David... David's sin, it's not in your notes there, but the Bible says a true friend is somebody who will rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. It needs to be very gut-wrenching for you to have to confront somebody about anything in their life. Because you need to go look in the mirror first and see all the stuff that you need to clean up. Because there's plenty in there. I saw kind of a funny statement the other day it said this this uh, older man and woman were at a restaurant and he pointed and he said hey I hope we don't end up looking like that couple there when we're older 
And she said, well, you're looking in the mirror. It's not always easy to look in the mirror, is it? Nathan replies in verse 13, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. But you have, but you have given the enemies of the Lord a great opportunity to despise and blaspheme Him, so your child will die. So the illegitimate child that he had with Bathsheba was going to die. And you might think, Boy, God is cruel that He would take that baby away from them. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And when you sin enough and you think you've hidden from it, it'll jump up and bite you. I want you to make two very courageous and I believe godly decisions today. It's on the back of your sermon notes. Decision one Under God's leadership, I will compassionately confront a friend if necessary. I will compassionately confront a friend if necessary. Remember, most confrontations are necessary. So you're not going to be quick. I mean, they're not necessary. So you're, don't be too quick to do this. Number three on your next step. Connection card is never confronted unless I have a clear leading from God that is confirmed by prayer, Bible study, and others. Maybe that's something you would consider doing going forward. And the second decision is even more courageous is under God's leadership, I will receive confrontation from a friend. See, it's one thing to give it, it's another thing to receive it. I was challenged some years ago to pick out three to five people that I felt would and give them the give them the freedom to speak directly into my life. And and if it was negative to be negative, whatever it needed, whatever they felt they needed to give to me in that in that time frame. And so I sent out the letters and was clear in the letters the instructions to follow. And I got some doozies back. But those so profoundly helped me see some of the blinders that I had on myself. You know, I was looking in the mirror, but I wasn't seeing what they were seeing. And it was good to kind of pull the blinders back and see some things that I hadn't seen. So I would encourage you to consider that in your life. Hebrews 12, 5, and 6 powerful verses my dear children don't shrug off God's discipline but don't be crushed by it either it is the child that he loves that he disciplines the child he embraces he also corrects why does God speak to us and try to correct us why does God send others into our lives to confront us he does it because he loves us he wants to restore godliness in us I'm just wondering that through the course of what we tried to say this morning, if maybe God isn't speaking into your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your study today. 
take what we've learned and seal it deep in our hearts. Help us to be a friend to others and to allow others to speak into our lives. More importantly, God, help us to be so in touch with you that we constantly hear from you. So God, we recommit ourselves today to a life of godliness, to a pursuit of Jesus Christ, and and of following him as closely as we can. And Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn of invitation that we offer every week. Today it's just as I am. It's a powerful song and it's a powerful uh, message in that song. And that message is God doesn't expect you to be fully cleaned up before, before you come to Him. Come to Him and He'll do great things for you. So let's stand and sing together this great hymn of faith. And God is causing you or calling you.